Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. As we approach a major election in our country, Pastor Roy has decided to do a short series on God and government, where we will look at a Christian's responsibility in the government process. To start off the series, Pastor Roy will be talking about a biblical worldview and how it is essential that to have that as your foundation before you start to figure out your responsibility as a citizen. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy as he shares what a biblical worldview looks like. Today we want to talk about a biblical worldview in relationship to God and government. This is a big topic. We will not tackle it all in one week. Uh, We're going to spend at least next week and maybe the following week uh, talking about God and government. Um, But I just want to start off talking about the whole idea of a biblical worldview, but I'm going to start off talking about a worldview in general and then talk about a biblical worldview. The ColsonCenter.org talks about a worldview, and he says it's the framework of basic beliefs that we hold, whether we realize it or not, that shapes our view of and for the world. Basically, it's the lens through which we are looking to understand and interpret reality and make decisions on a daily basis. The lens we are looking through, for example, If you have a table and there's an apple sitting on the table and a botanist looks at that apple, he's going to classify it. If an artist looks at it, he's going to draw it. He sees a drawing. If a grocer looks at it, he's going to sell it. (laughs) If a little child looks at it, he's going to eat it. Um, So basically how we look and interpret things, how we look at things is going to matter how we interpret them through the lens through which we look. This has serious implications when we think about our government and how our government makes decisions. And so we have to come back to a biblical worldview when we think about putting together a government and how that government operates. It is absolutely foundational that we understand a biblical worldview. It's the big picture. A biblical worldview is biblically grounded. It is grounded in the Word of God. It is grounded in the doctrine of God. What God has established. Notice our verse for this week at the top of our bulletin, inside the cover. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except which, that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's the framework with which Christians look at government. That God has established every authority. And it tells us in God's Word that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wants to. And it really doesn't matter in that respect whether the person is a believer or an, a pagan. God is able to turn their heart. We have a responsibility in about a month to vote. We don't have the best selection. That is a no-brainer. But we do have a responsibility as Christians and as good citizens of the country in which God has placed us to exercise our God-given right. And we'll talk more about that in succeeding weeks. 
But with this biblical worldview, we are biblically grounded. The second thing, and this is very encouraging to me, is a biblical worldview is defined by hope. And this, again, comes out of this colsoncenter.org. It is defined by hope. Hope is crucial. Hope is, is in Christ, in Christ alone. There is no hope outside of Christ. There's no hope in Washington, D.C. There's no hope in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's what makes us distinctly biblical is that we have a hope. Even in a world that is broken and falling apart, we understand that as Christians because the Bible tells us it's that way. It's not going to all be fixed in this life. But our hope is full of certainty because it is a hope not for, but a hope in. It rests squarely in and on Jesus Christ. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is the redeemer of our soul. This biblical worldview also explains the incredible goodness as well as the incredible evil we see in our world and in the human heart. So basically it rests in the hands of God. A biblical worldview begins with creation. Now, this sounds absolutely elementary, but it's not so much in our world today. And I'll explain that in a moment. God created everything. John 1.3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God made everything. In Genesis, that explains to us in chapter 1, it goes in great detail, that in the beginning he made plants um, and trees. And with those plants and trees, those are living organisms that do not move, but God made them. And then from there, he made living organisms that have mobility, like birds and fish. Here's where the pheasant hunters and the fishermen should say, hey, hey, we got living organisms that move. It wouldn't be any fun to try to shoot a bird that couldn't move, would it? Or catch a fish that couldn't swim. Where's the the competition in that? But God orchestrated that. He made those things, and we enjoy them. He also tells us in Genesis 1.27 that God created man. Now we have a living organism that not only moves, but we have a living organism that was made in the image of God and can reason. That's our biblical worldview. But this is just the beginning. And this seems very, very elementary, but it has significant ramifications for an individual or a society when we try to establish a government if we do not recognize that God created the world. Then, all of a sudden, we have a different framework. And what is being taught a lot in our public schools. And not primarily. Um, I talked to Jim Cutshaw today because he said, really, it's based on school districts, what they allow or disallow to be taught in the classroom. But by and large, especially from our federal government, evolution is the thing that is being pushed. Now think about that. Evolution 
in relationship to creation, if my worldview comes from the idea of evolution, that means government will be corrupt. Because I'm coming from a corrupt framework, a negative framework, instead of a biblical framework that God has established. This foundational truth has been suppressed, by and large, of creation in our educational system. Has it not? It has been. It has been suppressed. When that is suppressed, guess what? Other truth is suppressed. What happens when a coach wants to offer a prayer for a ball team? What happens when somebody wants to pray at a graduation? You see, it goes back to the idea of creation. When we turn our back on that God is a creator and he has created everything, all of a sudden all these other things are up for grabs. That's why we have to hold and go back to Genesis 1. It is crucial. A biblical worldview begins with creation. And why are they so hard-pressed to deny creation? Because they don't want to be accountable to a creator, a creator God. And not only that, this denial of God as creator, listen to this carefully, it strips God of his character and it robs him of our worship, our adoration, and our obedience. That's why I think they suppress it so hard. They denounce his character. It robs him of his worship, adoration, and obedience. Look at Revelation 4.11. You are worthy God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created to have your being. God, you are worthy of our praise because you created us. You created everything. And when we get away from that, it robs him of his glory. And yet in Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This declaration of God's glory is a public display of his beauty and his majesty. The other night when we had the SEA event out at the Rinders last week, I couldn't help but look up into the heavens and see the immensity of the stars. I mean, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I could have just sat there for an hour and looked at that. And we need to do that. It shows the beauty and the majesty of God. And it says it proclaims the work of His hands. This proclamation is a proclamation of His power, His wisdom, and His immensity. He's an immense God. He's a great God. He's worthy of our worship. And what have we done in our society? We have a government who wants to suppress the truth of a creator, God. But it, see, it builds from there. That's the problem. It builds from there. When we have a creator, God, he tells us in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, listen, since the creation of the world, creator, God, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. See, this denial of Creator denies His invisible qualities. Understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Because we begin with the revelation of God as Creator and then we move from there to His moral standards that are clearly taught in the Bible. But if we reject him as creator, we say the Bible's not true, then we don't have to 
put ourselves and submit to his moral laws. However, we are subject to God's moral laws, whether we believe them or not. When God, through Moses, led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, he gave Moses ten commandments on Mount Sinai that were to govern the people in how to live in obedience to God. Look at this verse, Psalm 119.1. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. All of God's creation in mankind, in every culture, in every age, will be held accountable to God for keeping his moral law, or they will be judged for not keeping it. 1 Peter 4, 4 and 5, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Paul says a similar thing in Acts 17 when he was talking to the Greek philosophers who reject the Old Testament and reject God's law. He's saying you are still going to be judged by God whether you believe his law or not. And here's what he says in Acts 17. He commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. He is saying, Paul is saying, you will be judged by God and held accountable by him whether you believe his law or not. So we move from creation to moral law. The next thing here, a biblical worldview has to include moral evil or sin. It has to. And you know what? Even lost people will hold to some level of morality. They have to, and I'll explain that too in just a moment. But a, it has to include moral evil or sin. See, God's original creation was very good. There was no sin or moral evil. There was no sickness, no disease, no death. But moral evil was a result of Adam and Eve's sin. This moral evil exists, listen to this carefully, because there is an external standard of right and wrong. If we do not hold to there's an external standard of right and wrong, guess who becomes the standard? Me and you. There's an external standard, though, outside of us for right and wrong. How do we know that? We know that from the book of Genesis once again. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God says, what? Don't eat of this tree that's in the midst of the garden. That's an external law that is outside of them. Adam and Eve did not establish that law. They did not come up with that. They did not decide, is this right or wrong? God says it's wrong to eat of the tree. Right and wrong morality was established when God told them not to eat of the tree. It is an external law outside of ourselves, which means when we even go to the Supreme Court or people in government, they cannot decide what is right and wrong. There is a law outside of them that has already decided that, and that is God's law. We are simply to uphold the law that he has established. This standard of moral evil is, does not derive from man, but it flows from the nature and character of God. 
and it is passed on to every human being. He says in Romans 5.12, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, this way death came to all men because all sinned. Now here's the, here's the thing about this moral evil. This moral evil affects all of us and it affects our worldview. So we have to come back to God and get a correct worldview from the Bible. How we organize our government is impacted by this moral evil. This moral standard that God has set up is external to the human race. Now here's where I think, I don't know if I've met anybody that wouldn't agree with this statement. Murder is wrong. Most people are going to tell you murder is wrong. Where do they get that idea from? Is that from inside of them? Well, maybe to a degree, God's law is written on our heart. But there's an external law that God has established that says murder is wrong. And it comes from Exodus 20:13, you shall not murder. This is a law outside of us. We didn't establish this law. God established it. He's the one that put the value on life. This is a universal, timeless truth. Murder is wrong. Now, here's where we run into problems with the government. When government tries to decide killing a baby in abortion is not murder. It is murder. In the eyes of God, he has conceived life in the womb, and somehow we think that life in the womb is different, and God looks at it differently. He does not. It is life. And we are going to be held accountable as a nation for the millions and millions of aborted babies because we have committed murder and blood is on our hands. God cannot be pleased with that kind of government. It is it any wonder why we are in the shape we are in as a country because we have rejected God's law? Now, let me quickly say, we may have somebody here in the audience who has had an abortion. I praise God for his grace and forgiveness. It is full and free. When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter how bad the sin, God wipes the slate clean when we ask for forgiveness. So if that's you, it's in the past. It's under the blood if you have been forgiven by God. And I have to say that. But murder is wrong. It is a universal, timeless truth. This universal, timeless truth was given to govern our morals. It was given to govern the society in Moses' day, and it is given to govern the society in our day as well. It is a responsibility the government has to uphold this moral law that God has established, and we have not done that. When a government is ignorant of God's commands or ignores or rejects God's commands, God is going to hold that government and society responsible for breaking his commands. So let me ask you a question in regarding to this election. Which candidates hold the position of pro-life? I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just asking you to think through the issues. Not, don't just look at the person, but look at what the person stands for and represents. 
Which candidates hold the position of pro-life? Which candidates support the sanctity of life? We could take time and talk about euthanasia, too. That's another one. See, we look through it through the biblical lens. Law matters. Morals matter. Doctrine matters. And politics matter. See, our politics are a reflection of how we understand God's laws. And our understanding of God's laws will impact how we construct our moral framework to govern our society. And our moral framework to govern our society, listen, is inextricably linked to our doctrine, our beliefs. Since the Bible condemns homosexual conduct as morally wrong, then that should have a significant influence on how our government should be writing laws and upholding them. Because again, homosexual behavior is condemned in the Bible as sin. And God will hold our government accountable for those decisions. God has told us in Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He has told us what the institution of marriage is to be. Our government has come and tried to redefine marriage, again, rejecting God's revelation. We will be held accountable for that. All human beings are born with a sin nature. We're all born with a sin nature. This is, this is the biblical worldview that we hold. God's law is written on people's hearts. Doing evil is not only because of the evil influence of society, but it's also because of the evil heart that each of us possesses because of his sin nature. Thirdly, all human beings are responsible for their actions. It doesn't matter if it's Adolf Hitler or terrorists or murderers or rapists. All human beings are responsible for their actions. And we read a couple verses a few moments ago that God is going to judge based according to his moral law. Now here's one that's... I would never have believed that we would in our society dip to such a horrible, depraved level that this would be questioned in our society, but it is. You're going to be like, really? Yeah. And you know, God created human beings male and female. That is being changed by people who are writing books today. The transgender community Transgender people are people who have a gender identity or gender expression that differs from their assigned, God-given sex. That is being changed by people in our society today. Let me give you an example. The Gender Quest Workbook. It's a guide for teens and young adults. It was written in December of 2015. Here's what they say. Despite outdated beliefs, 
outdated beliefs. Gender no longer implies simply being male or female, but rather a whole spectrum of possibilities. And I'm like, really? Where does that come from? It comes from a moral framework and a worldview that rejects the Bible. And they go through a bunch of activities that you can do in the book to help you explore your identity internally and personally and culturally. I noticed they didn't say biblically. Gender Now was written, and this is not this Christina Gonzalez, but it's Maya Christina Gonzalez, published in 2010. Maya believes that many people do not fully understand gender diversity and that transgender represents a huge spectrum of gender identities. She suggests, I, I like, I'm glad she suggests because she can't be any authority. She suggests that gender is like a wheel that moves and travels, defined not by anatomical parts, but by how a person feels inside. Hogwash. Inside, we have a sin nature. We're broken. Hogwash. She goes on to say, gender is a very different thing from sex, male or female. In other words, gender is how you think and feel about yourself. How you behave or express yourself in the world. You cannot tell a person's gender from their biology. Since when? <laughs> Since she wrote this book? I mean, we have to go back to the biblical truth that God has established. She's on to say, remember, gender identity is what's on the inside between your ears. I'm like, really? But that's the lens that they're looking through, a worldly lens. They're deciding who they are based on how they feel. Feelings lie to us. Then he asks a question, so how does your brain feel? Sometimes kind of tired. <laughs> are you still stuck in your gender brainwashing, or is it becoming, beginning to become undone? Then there's another book, The Transgender Child. Handbook for Families and Professionals by Stephanie Brill and Rachel Pepper. They say the terrain of gender is expanding as times change. Hogwash. They say today gender can no longer be considered a two-option category. That form of thinking is outdated. I mean, this is in print. Most of us were taught and still firmly adhere to the concept there's only two distinct categories of gender, male and female. But in truth, many if not most of us are actually a blend. <laughs> How ridiculous. And then there's even a book written for little kids, two years of age, that they are telling them how they feel will determine their gender. Those books are out there. It's because we've rejected the God of the Bible as creator and as the moral lawgiver. Everything becomes up for grabs. The earth is under a curse because of sin. It tells us that in Genesis, that because of sin, there would be thorns and thistles Women would have pain in childbirth, and man would have to earn his keep by the sweat of his brow. 
And I think those thorns and thistles include hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and droughts and everything in between because the earth is under a curse because of sin. But the good news is, for us who are believers, we have hope because our hope is not in this life. It is not in this world. It is in the next. And that's the one we need to be focusing on. We have an opportunity in a broken world to bring the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to many people. We have 202 people in Awana. There are many Awana parents who have no concept of church at all. We have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these people. We need to reach out to them. We need to do everything we can to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be a channel of love. We've got to get out of our comfort zone and, and talk to these people and share the love of Christ. You say, I don't know what to say to them. You, say, you pray and you say, God, what do I say to them? And you pray. Same thing with our election coming up. Yes, it looks pretty doom and gloom, I will admit, but I'll tell you this, I know the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he's going to turn it whichever way he wants to. And God has used pagan leaders in the past to accomplish his will. I don't think we just throw in the towel and give up. I think that we as Christians have a responsibility to give a reason of the hope within us. We have a wonderful opportunity to do that. And I pray that God will help us do that. The earth is out of whack because of the curse. It is out of whack. But we have a God who holds the church, the bride of Christ, in his hand. And he wants us to rise up and to be a voice for righteousness. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. God, help us be his righteousness on the earth. That many boys and girls, and I'm talking about our context in Awana, many men and women, moms and dads, might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I look forward to this Awana year as we continue to pray and we invest and we plant seeds of the gospel that people might be changed. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Just stay seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer. I would just ask you in this quiet moment, what is your worldview? Do you believe in Creator God? That's a good start. But you know what? God has established moral laws. There is an external law outside of us that we didn't write. And God is going to hold us accountable for those moral laws. And the Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us deserve God's grace and God's forgiveness, but he grants it to us because he loved the world. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross. And this is a message the federal government would like to silence, among other things. I don't know what's going to happen in the future to Christians who will speak the truth. 
But I know this, we have to speak it. We have to. Paul was constrained. He said he, he, it was the Spirit of God that constrained him to preach the gospel. And I trust that God will reignite in Bethesda Church a passion for the gospel, a passion for the lost. Because we're in desperate times. The earth is under a curse because of sin. But God brought righteousness in the person of Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I beg you to give your life to Christ. Right there in your seat, tell God you're a sinner. Tell Him where you've broken His law. Ask Him to come into your life and forgive you of your sin. Say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Shed His blood that I could be forgiven. Please don't resist the Holy Spirit if the Spirit of God is speaking to you. For those of us who are believers, we need to not just be hopeless. We've got hope because of Christ. He's the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of this sin-sick world. And I believe he still wants to work in America. He still wants to work in South Dakota. He still wants to work in Huron because there's lost people here. Let's pray. If you have a spiritual need in your life, I'll be shaking hands at the back door or grab somebody else from our church and just go into a classroom and pray. Whatever your spiritual need is, we'll be glad to pray with you. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.